0: It's Theory for Turntables, the TFT Podcast. I'm Matt, and that's Ryan. Ryan, I'll go to college and learn some big words, and I'll talk real loud. Goddamn right I'll be heard. You'll remember the guy that said all those
1: big words he must have learned in college. Matt, I'm on the way to God Don't Know. My brain's the burger, and my heart's the coal. (laughs) And we're not lonesome
0: out here in the crowded West. We also have with us TFT punk correspondent Rachel D.,
2: (gasps) Rachel, let's all have another Orange Julius. Oh, oh! Well, here's a man with teeth like God's shoes shine. He sparkles, <laughs> shimmers, and shines.
0: <laughs> you say that. You say that with such disdain, but there's such there's such beautiful words. Thank you for comparing my my dental situation to the shoe shine of the Almighty. Uh, we're talking about the lonesome, cl- crowded West, uh, modest Mouse's sophomore album from 1997. Um. And, uh, this record was, was new to me and, you know, for what it's worth, it was, it was really great listening to it. There's, there's, there've been a couple of like, of indie rock, uh, a couple of like indie rock records that we've covered in, in this stretch, the kind of the mid nineties historical stretch, uh, you know, as we kind of wind it down, as we bring it to a close, um, That, uh, were just fantastic. Like the, the pavement record and this one, and like, this is, you know, um, these didn't sort of take over the world the way some of the other bands from Seattle did, um, but but you know, I don't know, or it's just these these kind of they're just these achievements, and it's so interesting to uh, go back and listen to um, sonically uh interesting to listen to what the kind of the social concerns were um interesting interesting to listen to for the kind of the the boys club or kind of clubhouse aspect of of some of this music some of the the adolescent kind of quality. Qualities of it, because these guys were so young, which is something that we we say, I guess, like, uh, I guess music is a young person's game, you know? Um, and uh, anyway, yeah, the, lo- the Lonesome Crowded West. Now, I only knew about Modest Mouse, for what it's worth, uh, in the 2000s. I missed them in the 90s, because I was listening to my uh, beloved, um, I was listening to my beloved female singer-songwriters of the 90s, and I, I sort of missed a lot of the cooler stuff, I guess, that was happening in indie rock. Because I was more on this kind of folky or even kind of Lilith fairy uh, kick, um, and then I I became aware of Modest Mouse in the two thousands uh, in the early part of the the or the earlier mid part of that decade, and it was like they had they were kind of presented as having sold out or having achieved commercial success, I guess, which is not the same thing. Um, but I, I you know I listened to it and it did not seem. All that interesting to me at the time, and I sort of wrote them off as a kind of noodly, uh, kind of low key, almost easy listening rock band, you know, like a like a like a Counting Crows, uh, rather,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, rather than uh, as and there's the, an
1: animal. There's an animal in the name of the band, right? So exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a modest mouse. It's a crow who's counting. It's a they're counting crows, you know, um, and the uh, and I never really learned a goddamn thing about Modest Mouse apparently because I just like on the basis and you know there's so much fucking music right that like this is something that happens you know you can just dismiss something or like not go deep into it by kind of having a glancing acquaintance with it and sort of bouncing off of it and that's what happened to me and so I'm really grateful for the uh, the opportunity to go back uh, really you know listen more deeply into the into the early material and discover that it is it's challenging it's compelling it's deeply stupid in certain sections but in like a hey man, very... cowboy dan is a major player in the cowboy scene i love cowboy cowboy dance Maybe my favorite character on this album um and it also it also has that sort of like man malls are morally bankrupt sort of yeah. uh, sort of thing uh
1: that's it's nice when those were our biggest problems right
0: <laughs> uh, anyway did you were were you guys aware of of modest mouse before they they kind of hit it big went platinum in the in the early aughts
2: yeah i was aware of them i wasn't um i was still a latecomer, relatively speaking because i like first i first was aware of them in college yeah so it's you know after kind of like their major like first the first three albums. Right. Yeah. So, was so like, it was
1: like after this came out, but like before, um, so 2004 was the, um, the pop crossover album, uh, good news for people who like bad news. Right. Yeah. So, so it, it, and, and so there was a period in basically between 2000 and 2004 where like the buzz was building, but they hadn't yet broken. Right.
2: Yeah. I, I think that's right. And they were, you know, so I liked them at the point where they were the headliner, for the Coney Island Village Voice Music Festival, which was a thing, that was in two
1: thousand three. Uh, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, that that used to exist. Um, <laughs> and, and they were the headliner, though, for that festival. Right. So I think they had just put out, well, not just put, out, but they had put out Moon Over Antarctica. It like or the moon in Antarctica. Uh, yeah, America. the moon in Antarctica, and so I I had gotten into them. I don't know. I think a friend. Uh, you know, introduced me to them in college, and yeah, I was immediately struck by. It. I actually really liked the first album as as well. Um, I think to me, I just really liked. There's something about the sound that was very. It sounded like very, I, I was, it sounds weird for me to describe it as ethereal, but it just kind of sounded like it was coming from some otherworldly plane. And it was also very depressing. And I, I just really liked the combination of those two things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, and, but the, and this was the album, so you were into their first and third albums. And this one you had largely passed over, right? Yes, for whatever reason. <laughs> Um, And, you know, I got into Modest Mouse, and you were into Modest Mouse, and that summer that you saw them was the summer that we met, the summer of 2003, and and so I I kind of— um, listen to them a little bit through you. Um, and then we went back to our respective colleges. Um, and but they were kind of on my radar. And uh, and and I actually have a very clear memory of when I first list, when and how I first listened to Lonesome Crowded West, which was on an early iteration of um, iTunes, maybe the first iteration, there was a feature that allowed you to see the iTunes libraries of other users that were on your local area network. Right. Um, and so I was at um, at college and was like, look, around who um in uh uh in the network of uh, what music they had and this was on one and i i had not heard um this album before because i think you you didn't have it and and i w- and this is like when modest mouse really clicked for me and i had liked a few individual songs from the other albums but this kind of in that and it was probably like january of 2004 so about like th- three four months before um, the, they released their kind of, uh, their crossover album. Um, and, and, uh, and, and it kind of, so I like, I mean, I, and I've said this about myself before I was the canary in the, in the coal mine of coolness, right? Like, you know, I liked them before they were cool, but like, just like moments. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I actually have a confession to make. I don't know if you remember this, Rachel. Uh, and, and I, I don't think I've ever like told this story out loud. Oh like, man, we're getting all therapy here on the tft no, no, no. podcast so, rachel do you remember that i sent you an email because we weren't in so in that year and which we went back to our colleges we weren't actually in a lot of touch and we actually didn't start dating um until later in 2004 do you remember that i sent you an email that quoted modest mouse lyrics <laughs>
2: I don't know if I do, honestly. So I have a very
1: distinct memory of sometime in this spring of 2004, I sent you an email, and I don't remember what else the email said, but I know that I quoted from Trailer Trash, uh, and and I said, uh, and I said, I know that I miss you, and I'm sorry if I dissed you. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I think that this is, I think for me, this album appealed, right? Because in this time, so it's really interesting, right? In 2004, I was about, I was. Um, you know, about to 21, about to turn 22 and was so about the same age that these guys were when they made this album. And it was kind of for me, and I've talked about this a lot on this show of kind of a transitional moment, uh, in, in what I was into, right? I was not an emo boy, not yet an indie man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so the kind of what was here on this album is I think this interesting bridge, you know, either for individual listening or in terms of what's happening in terms of genre um, at the time that was being made of kind of some of what's like happening, it's emo music, but if the only emotion is sadness and despair, right. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and so that, but there is, there are elements of this that kind of appeal to certain kinds of, of emo. um, But, but the scope of the ambition and of the writing um, and the lyrics and, and the music is kind of beyond where a lot of, of what was kind of lumped in with emo was, um, and so it I think was and but once you kind of get to modest Mouse, it opens up all of these other adjacent bands um, that were kind of operating around the same time or inspired by them um and became and and uh and were getting popular kind of in the on the heels of their popular crossover right and so um, yeah so this is like us you know an album and this arc of time from the release of lonesome crowd of West um, you know up through um, up through the release of good news for people who like bad news um, is is kind of that arc that we were talking about last week of you know and it's it's it's, it's shifted a little bit that rough star star report to 9/11 um, era right and and I think it's I think that this this makes an interesting bookend on that era, um, with with pavement. Right, if pavement were just reaching the end of their career um, uh, as that era began, um, modest mouse was just getting started, and this, their trajectory would take them into um, that kind of um, you know that meaty part of the pitchforked uh, early two thousands, know, right? Um, the, the, the 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 mainstream indie early two thousands. Hmm. Um that uh, yeah I I've, I've more I want to say you know what but you know we're
0: we're deep into it we're deep into it and so we should uh give everyone a chance to pause and actually uh listen to the album. So with all of that as preamble uh with all of that that table setting and all of that uh context from our personal lives uh why not open your heart and let modest mouse uh into your personal life. I promise This one thing is absolutely nothing like counting crows. (laughs) <laughs> and whatever whatever experience that you have with it, it will not be uh, like August and, and everything after. This must be before August, because uh, if everything after August is like Counting Crows, this is before. Give the Lonesome Crowded West <laughs> a spin. It is a full CD. It's about 75 minutes. It includes some jams, <laughs> some like, jam. yeah, like a Qualified Yes, Modest Mouse is a jam band, you know? Yeah.
1: And uh, so yeah, it's, it, it, it fills out the CD in exactly the same way as uh, as why Wycliffe Jean presents the carnival featuring refugee all stars. Yeah. Right? I'm surprised there's not um, a, a ongoing trial in which Isaac Brock is on trial for being an indie rocker.
2: Right?
0: <laughs> yeah. You're accused of having some character. You're accused of standing for something. You're accused of not wanting to pave the way. West, how do you plead? It's Bishop! It's Bishop! (laughs) All right, listen to The Lonesome, Crowded West. uh, Put us on pause. We'll be here after this word from our commercial sponsor.
1: Are you sick of using Waze and Google Maps? Yeah, I I mean, it's it's such a hassle to open those apps. Wouldn't you like to just kind of get back to navigation through a more tactile means of conveyance?
2: Yeah, I've been looking for a more kind of Back to basics, slow, contemplative, you know, kind of more artisanal navigation experience. Well, why not try
1: a trucker's atlas? What? What is a trucker's atlas? Why, it's an atlas for truckers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm opening this book and I can see
1: every rest stop along the highways of America. That's right. It will take you everywhere. You can go over to Montana and then start at the northwest corner, go down through California, you know, and you could even just drive for three days and three nights to the tip of Florida
2: That is so impressive. I just, I really love that it's an atlas made by and for truckers. You know, people who are really connected to the roadways of America.
1: That's right. This authentic truckers atlas is made to you, made, uh, brought to you by the makers of field notes, <laughs> <laughs> artisanal notebooks. So field, field notes, trucker atlases for you getting back. To the real America.
0: Field notes. I'm not trucking to remember it later. I'm trucking to remember it now. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> um,
1: uh, you have a question, Matt? Yeah, well, I don't know. Question? Does anyone Does anyone have a question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this lonesome crowded west uh with its cowboy dan um and its uh and its fiddle hoedown and its uh twangs all throughout um is it real country music?
0: <laughs> I mean, I think the answer is is a qualified yes, you know. <laughs> um it is Uh, because the definitions of real and country are different than they were for the person who said the, the fiddler and band leader who said, uh, at the Continental Club in Austin, uh, where I was there to hear some Western swing that, uh, that, you know, I heard some folks wanted to hear some real country music, um, I, I actually just as a rat hole, I do love that kind of sandbagging that like, well, I've never been to this club before where I have a regular Monday night gig. But, right. I, but I heard th- just <laughs> through the great fun, you know, word is out among the cowboy hat wearing and the, the Western shirt wearing with snaps for buttons mm-hmm. uh, set, you know, that uh, these people here want some real country <laughs> music you um but right, so like I think real uh in this case is defined negatively and not positively. it has to do with a rejection of prevailing trends in the society rather than um uh rather than a kind of positive identity that that it does so it's a it's a kind of like it's a sort of realness of negation or a realness of of rejection, and I think country here it doesn't mean heartland it means um I mean, sort of undeveloped land or sort of on, uh, you know, like the, the thing, the thing about Seattle, um, is that that like the pacific northwest is mostly wilderness you know mm. it's mostly like mountains and lush forests and you know beautiful coastline and stuff like that and the idea that there's this like thriving metropolis in seattle where there was all this uh like pre dot com like all of this like mid 90s microsoft money you know is uh, uh is like it's not it's an anomaly in the landscape. So I think that it's sort of a, a rejection of the the social trends, you know, vis-a-vis economic development. And I think it's also a rejection of the city for something like the open road, you know?
1: Yeah, no. And, and you have a sense. And I, I think that there's it's there throughout the album. And I think it's really there on Trucker's Atlas. Um and that's the jammiest of the jams, right? I think Trucker's Atlas goes on for something like 11, 10, 11 minutes, right? Um, and it, it, yeah, it's nearly 11 minutes. And you have the feeling of, um, you know, a very long drive, right? Um, and uh, and that you you have a sense of... Kind of driving through the flyover states, right? Um, and and right because especially coming from Seattle and kind of from an extreme coast, that that this there's this sense of. And and much of this album was conceived of and kind of written um, and and conceptualized while they were on on tour and kind of driving around, um, you know, in a kind of a crappy van, driving around the country in a crappy van. And so you feel that. I mean, so it's another way that it's country music is that it is music of the country, like of the of the country of America. Right. Uh, And and that that in America. Right. That there is just by volume like it's it's an odd thing where um you know that you 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 should think west should be something like that's defined by like the median point of the country but there's a i think when you you feel in space if you were driving across the country or around the country that like there is a preponderance of west right of frontier uh and of uh and and of wilderness right and and of, of of you probably even start to notice different kinds of um of westness of the of the wilderness west um and the plains west and the you know the Rocky Mountain West, uh, and it's all it is all so big and so vast, um, and and it's both big and vast. And then you have these kind of not only um, cities but these kind of growing, sprawling suburbs, right? And it's the that's the other line. Um, as much as it's hard to get past Cowboy Dan and his being a major player in the um, uh, in the cowboy scene, right? The other one of there are several lines that really kick in that song, and uh, one of them is that I didn't come to the city the city came to me right and so that even in in the context of all of this tremendous space there's also encroachment right um and and right it's there right it is both it is simultaneously lonesome and crowded yeah well i mean that's that, it's an interesting thing whether you think of like
0: city as the natural state right like for let imagine kids who grew up in new york you know and and like mm-hmm. had to get sent out of the city every year to get some wilderness Right up in the Catskills at camp or the Poconos or whatever, you know, Um, the uh, the idea of like, do you exist in the country and uh, exist in the city and like countryness is the the variant state. Right. Or do you or do you feel like there's a back to basics like the countryness is the normal state and cities are the variant state? I mean, it strikes me that the life of a touring musician right at a certain level you drive into the, you drive long lonesome distances by yourself into town sort of do where the people need you you know like they right. need the like they need the cowboy to sort of uh yeah. you know i don't know get the cattle rustlers out or whatever uh you do that stuff and then you you get back you drive out you get back on the road right you sort of like you sort of enter the city you move through the city without really being uh without really being of the city and like a little bit like what is a little bit the 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 challenge i want to raise to this point of view is like what is the alternative you know like if malls are so bad, what should we
1: have instead mm-hmm. you know well, well oh oh, I got this. No malls, <laughs> zero malls. <laughs> I mean,
0: it's not like I, I, I can see an objection to malls coming. That's along the lines of like we're privatizing all of our public spaces, right? And right. this is even in in you know New York, which is sort of built around the the whole identity of the city is built around certain public spaces. Like uh, they are privatizing all their public spaces, and it's not you know uncontroversial that they're doing it um with this like it's not that's not the critique though it's more that the malls are kind of soulless that they are kind of morally bankrupt somehow and that's uh and that's the problem with them right the problem you know the problem with the malls is that they are uh just like intrinsically bad somehow but there's not it's not like there is another mode a preferred mode of like relationship or social organization uh it's just that malls are bullshit well okay what what should we do instead i don't know man but malls are bullshit you know
2: yeah because it's not like a it's not like a jane jacobs argument or something (laughs) or like i i don't know i think it's interesting because i think in the the little Pitchfork TV episode about um, about this album, there's kind of very fleeting mention of, like, the where, where we're from in Washington yeah. used to be a really cool town, but we never really hear about, like, what that means, right? Um, so, like, I envision, like, there's some, you know, and the, the most idyllic version of that was, like, a very, like, thriving Main Street of a yeah. small town yeah. that was, like, full of, like, diverse... Uh, you know small businesses that like could meet the meet needs and demands of everyone in town um, and that like created uh like kind of like communal public space um, you know in the because like the stores were varied enough and had enough like different yeah. uses that there's like foot traffic and <clears throat> and open public space um, just created naturally from like the usage of these like commercial you know of these commercial spots and that there was like a main drag that was a focal point for the town somehow i don't like i mean maybe that was true i don't know right i guess one would have i don't know the, the history of uh Issaquah. Yeah,
1: yeah is right. right
2: and and you know but like you know a lot of those kinds of places like were already like way dead by like 1998 right mm, and, you know what i mean mm, like so mm. I don't know what the alternative like was like then when or like around this late nineties time when it's getting written. I
1: mean, that's so interesting, right? So, and, and it's that like, you know, blaming the malls is like the malls are just like the maggots that are crawling through the carcass of small small town america it's right kind of exactly. a,
2: yeah i mean put it in another way to me it's sort of like a coal thing it's like kind of talking about coal when it's like dude coal is dying like, <laughs> like there's a lot of things going on for why, why this town has not like worked right as like a kind of communal public thriving space yeah because like most of those kinds of main drags and different little like what used to be you know pretty big towns or cities across america like generally are kind of a uh, decrepit and now like and you know because there's there isn't enough foot traffic and like there was this movement out from the main town you know it they're empty. And I, I don't know what came first, like well, whether the malls caused that or like the movement but, happened and then the malls. But came. I think
1: what's really interesting is that and 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 this is something that, that they actually they talk about a little bit in the documentary. And but it's there in the lyrics is that I think something that's happening now is that these some of these small downtowns. Um, are revitalizing, right? Because because cities are totally in, um, and it doesn't have to be a big city. It's it's kind of that that sense of urbanism. And, and you, I, I know this is happening a little bit um in the town um where I'm from, um, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and also the neighboring town of Lidditz, where there are these kind of downtowns and there are new businesses there and there's a kind of a number of things that are and I mean there are um there are two, you know, um artisanal coffee roasters in downtown Lancaster. Right. It's the uh, you know, the, the, the to use the term that the South Park use for its fake uh, revitalized neighborhood in South Park, Colorado, of Soto Sopa, right? The south of downtown South Park uh, phenomenon. Um, and so that and, and, and I think that um, and, you know, it's the lyric on Teeth Like God's Shoes Shine is what um, the malls are the new ghost towns. Yeah. Right. Or they're the um, future,
0: the future ghost future towns or something like that. Yeah, and that future is now, right? The, well, yeah, the- I mean that actually is prophetic, right? It really is. It really <laughs> is a good call crazy. because now all the indoor shopping malls, all the like the destination things, uh, you know, out on the on the interstate or whatever, are, are all standing empty because everyone wants these, or everyone with purchasing power, we should say, wants right. wants these like uh, dense, you know, pedestrian uh, uh, urban areas, right? And this is happening. I mean, this is happening to small towns in. in California as well there's even like caltrans um the you know the the highway authority state highway authority here has uh uh this kind of um position paper or this this set of policies i guess that they call complete streets where if you're going to like get caltrans services in your town you have to restripe the streets to have bicycles and you have to you know what i mean you have to have like pedestrian kind of bulb outs on the end of the uh on the end of the sidewalks and things like this that that, that there have to be now affordances for the kind of um we're saying revitalized i'm not i think culverized is actually maybe a better uh a better word right like because it's you know uh in 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 my home neighborhood of culver city here in la right like we talked a little bit because this tft is after all a podcast about urbanism uh you know dress dressed up as a music podcast we've talked about culver city before and the the um You know, the the replacing of uh, of a working class and uh, like an affordable uh, working class actual neighborhood was not pretty, but it had an I I mean, it was not, you know, pretty in the sense of being like well designed. It 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 wasn't like a blue bottle coffee shop or something or excuse me, (laughs) like a a Nestle blue bottle coffee shop.
1: (laughs) Sick burn, bro.
2: (laughs) I love Um, it.
1: Yeah, you definitely. Every time you see somebody with a blue bottle uh, cup, you should definitely point at them and scream, "You're drinking Nestle, Nest Cafe." Cafe. Cafe. How's your your Nest Cafe, (laughs) bro?
0: (laughs) In just a rat hole in a rat hole in college, the uh, the like global EVP of communications for Nestle gave a talk at Yale, and and he was talking about um, some statistics that they use internally. Apparently. uh like every second and a half somewhere in the world a cup of nescafe is brewed uh like that 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 scale is is oh, difficult to imagine um,
1: and now and now some of them yeah. are pour over yeah
2: <laughs> no no i can't wait for like the blue bottle pod <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to see the blue bottle employee be like well when are you going to use your pod? Are you going to use it right away? Or in like a week from now? Because we really suggest that you use your pod immediately upon purchase. Well, the pod contains just a single bean
1: that you then, <laughs> <and> <laughs>
2: then immediately like punctured and ground yeah, yeah, with yeah, the machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, that's some Alice Waters shit. Anyway, the Culverization was replacing this. It didn't look like a blue bottle. It didn't look like the new urbanism. You know, it didn't look like a, a sort of well-manicured Kemp thing. But you know what? There was an ice rink, right? Like and there was a hardware store and there there were services that people uh needed and now it's like a, a- a cold press juice bar next to a yoga studio next to a poke restaurant next to a all
1: all the services that people need next to a soul cycle. I mean, what do you need? It's like, you know, those are all the things I need. I don't need a hardware store until my toilet breaks.
0: (laughs) Well, right. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. And and then
1: I call and then, and then I get a task rabbit, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who drives my broken toilet. (laughs) Yeah.
0: who drive right in order to do my $3 task rabbit job. The task, the person, the task rabbit, the, the, I mean, God, when we start comparing people to animals, we're, we're little better than Himmler, the rabbit, <laughs> you know, when we're, when we're at that level of dehumanization, the rabbit has to drive 45 minutes, uh, you know, with no compensation into West LA to pick up those good task rabbit jobs. Anyway, uh I digress. So, so it, but, but I think that there's, that we may be like when we talk about these things i wonder if the the main street utopia that rachel is describing isn't more our dream than the dream of a 16 17 year old aspiring indie rocker right like cuz in the when we talk about the documentary what we're talking about is um uh pitchfork i guess this is back it's it's a little old like it's not super recent but this is back in the day when um like, I don't know. I think video was going to be the savior of online publishing and everyone was, was yeah. pouring a lot of money into producing these kind of original hour long video content because what everyone wants to do is watch TV on their laptop. Um, and there's about a, uh, it's about a 45 minute documentary about the lonesome crowded West where, uh, uh, interviews, today interviews with, um, You know, uh, with old Isaac Brock, uh, old Calvin Johnson. And so on. Um, these, these things are cut together with archival foot, with, uh, the music and archival footage from the, uh, from the time, including some live performance, uh, stuff that seems very, you know, very, very cool underground venue, basement show, uh, type, type of stuff. And it's a great, it's a, we're, it's obviously we're embedded in the show notes for this episode. It is a great way, uh, into this album because it does go sort of track by track, uh, and, and talk about the, um, you know, talk about the, the, uh, particular, the particular, um, specifics of, of each track. Uh, Ryan, what did you think? What did you think? This is a, a weird question and, and sort of, I'm, I'm kind of throwing you under the bus to throw this at you with no preparation. But I think the drumming on, on this record is really remarkable and it's, it's something that's talked about in the, uh, in the documentary. So it's, you know, it's fair game, but there's just a lot of very almost like, Groove oriented mm-hmm. drumming and uh, a lot of like uh, what is it? What does he call them? Like tom tom rolls, you know, yeah. and like. Um, and i and w- once I heard that, my next listen through back to this album. I was just hearing like dance music, basically. I was hearing, yeah. you know, stuff. So, what do you think of? Uh, what do you think of the like the rhythmic uh, aspects of this record?
1: Yeah, I think – I mean, you're on it. I mean, it is um, – it, it's one of the ways that they can um, pull off a song um, like Trucker's Atlas being 10 minutes long, right? Like, uh, you know, that you you have to have something going on. And and it's, um, it, it's definitely, I think, something that attracted me to this album. I mean, as a drummer, I kind of prize kind of rhythmic complexity. Um, and I hadn't totally, you know, thought of it as – being a product of the of the toms but i mean i think in in my own playing i think that that's um you know it's interesting, right? When when I was a boy, I played the hi hat like a boy. Um, <laughs> uh, but but now that I'm a man, I put I put aside my childish things like my hi hat, <laughs> and I have my man toms. Uh, no, and I think that even so as I've tried to play more, um, I play the drums more recently, um, and even without even kind of consciously thinking necessarily about kind of um, I, I, uh, the, the drumming on this album, um, it's something that I've kind of tried because like there was there's kind of a Stock set of drum patterns that you kind of learn when you're um, learning rock and roll drums um, that are kind of you know generally like eighth notes on the hi hat or on the ride cymbal um, and kind of um, some you know snare drum on two and four um, and then um, depending how fancy you are some smattering of bass drum throughout uh, I, uh, often on um, often on on a, like a few quarter notes and some eighth notes one and three um, boom yeah Bam. Boom! Boom! Bap! Yeah, boom, exactly. Something bap. like that. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that I think that that the the ways that the entire drum kit is used through this album are one of the interesting rhythmic things. And then I mean, it's not that this is as it's not. The most mathy of albums, but there's a lot of there there's a lot of three right there's a lot of playing in three yeah. there's a lot of um and in different kinds of three um and 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 I think that playing with that and kind of an unevenness that comes from that um is also um part of what's rhythmically um, interesting um and so yeah I, I think it's it adds well I think right I think what's what's really interesting is that you have these songs where, where there are these kinds of really just monstrous drum beats and they're you know rhythmically complex and then there you know are movements in either into songs that are kind of wide open and kind of strummed like so songs like trailer trash um, or songs um like bankrupt on selling and, um, and then like even kind of more uh um like you know funkier or not funkier folkier things i mean in some ways right a really good summary of the whole album is actually the last song right that, that kind of starts as the yeah. um kind of most dylan-y folk song um right there's a moment in the documentary where someone asks the interview uh, interviewer asks isaac brock at the time right 96 97 isaac brock what's the album going to sound like and he kind of he deadpans well i've been listening to a lot of bob dylan so i think i'm going to rip him off a lot um and then and but then i when i re-listened to this um song i was like oh he really is kind of doing a dylan thing and kind of how he's singing um this last one um and then in the latter kind of third of this um of that song it kind of breaks into this kind of disco folk song right that's very very cool and um and really has um a lot of movement um and i don't know i think and and i think they go even more into elements of kind of dancing music on later albums right there's kind of dance songs on moon in antarctica Right.
2: Oh yeah. I think the first song I actually ever heard of theirs was the tiny cities yeah, made of yeah, ashes. Yeah. And I, I, I think it led me to think this band was going to be a little different, but, <laughs> but then, um, it, you know, and just, to, if you have not heard that song, it is like, I don't know, it's like a disco song. I mean, it's like a deep, dark, weird disco song. It's very dancey. And so then, uh, you know, but I do think that, that dance, that grooviness is present throughout throughout their work and Mm. their catalog.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, there are a lot of songs also that kind of change feel midstream. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that that have kind of multiple movements in this way. Yeah. This is something that, that I was going, I'm not sure if I kind of made this, I, if this observation made it out of my mouth, but that I wanted to say about pavement also because something, something similar happens, uh, on the pavement record that, that we talked about where there is like almost a lack of strophic form, right? Of like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, yeah. and like a predictable pattern that you come to and you get songs that are a a little more through composed where it's just like the music kind of doesn't necessarily repeat itself it just like goes and then it's and then it's done uh except for the ones that are the long the long jam bands now one of the the producers who i think re-recorded um i think
1: re-recorded this uh yeah i did a couple of the tracks phil Eck. phil Eck. yeah um is with the, with the, with his deep voice kind of like um John Hamm with messy hair. I mean, this is kind of what he reminded me of. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And that that like what
0: what he said was like um I I try to stay out of the way and let people have their interactions, right? As a Oh, I mean, that was, that was, that was Calvin. Calvin. That
2: was Calvin oh, Johnson. Right, right.
1: Uh No, was it Calvin Johnson the drummer? Yeah. The, no, no. So Calvin Johnson is the is the deep voice guy uh, who is the founder of K Records, right? Oh. So Jeremy Green, so Jer- the drummer is Jeremy Green, who is like very weird and probably on drugs uh, when this documentary was being filmed. He has, yeah, he has he
0: has kind of like an Andy Dick vibe to him a little bit.
1: Like yeah, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah 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 um uh, the the drummer Jer- the jeremy green yeah, yeah yeah were, has has yeah. just kind of that that like
0: slightly strung out Andy dick uh yeah. you know and also that voice a little bit that that yeah, slight, yeah, yeah. slightly slightly gone voice a little bit
1: you know right where so they, whereas calvin Johnson um it, oh, was one of the was one
0: of the producers sorry I was looking, yeah, yeah yeah I was getting sorry I'm looking at I thought it said written by and it says produced by here on on the genius is a genius and so I got I got my band members, uh, uh, confused. It might've yeah,
1: been Cal- Calvin Johnson has the great moment where he, um, it, uh, uh pulls out his like, um, paper, like uh, studio log yeah. and, and, and identifies the exact days and hours that they were in the studio <laughs> recording this right among many of the kind of somewhat eccentric things that he does, um, in this documentary, that's one, right. And this is Calvin Johnson who's the kind of, you know, founder of K records. And we've talked about him, um, and, and K I, um, I Records a bit on previous episodes, right? But it was kind of this um, real nexus of um, Olympia, Washington-based yeah. um, indie rock, right? And I think this
0: was recorded in Olympia, right? Yeah. Even yeah. even though um, he says uh, Isaac Brock says at the beginning that they they're like he's very strict about being from Issaquah because he didn't want to get kind of roped into either the like the Seattle or the Olympia. Thing, you know, and wanted to kind of declare independence from both of those scenes to to uh, to a certain extent. But he says, uh stay out of the way and let let people have their interactions. And if you think of uh, what what I thought was that, like, if you think of the end of Truckers Atlas, that long, like, whatever, 10 minutes of of jam that they do, uh, what Isaac Brock calls like they just play it out together. They play it right. out, you know, um, like as a kind of authentic interaction as just like a sort of encounter group, right? Like as a, mm-hmm. as a, you know, sort of experiential therapy that they're all doing together. That's the antidote to malls, right? Like, because it's, mm-hmm. it's because it's sort of rather than because you're interacting with other people in a, in a way that is kind of authentic and unmediated, um, yeah. rather than going to kind of an artificial uh, an artificial
1: environment right you 're kind of stepping into a real space uh together and that that also then connects to the kind of wanting to make this to an, a, to an extent dance music and and I think they say this in the documentary as well, and you hear that is that there 's a tension to you know cause people to dance but maybe in way, in unexpected ways or an unexpected moment right and that is part of what makes it that kind of an a, a encounter is it is because I think when you Weirdly, when you go somewhere to dance, um, then that's still that level of meditation allows you to, uh, allows a little more uh, artifice or um, kind of strategy to encounter. But when, you, when you're at a modest mouth show, especially at this era, right? When you're in a dingy basement um, and hearing are a, a kind of um, noisy bunch of guys who just uh, rolled in in their van, you're not expecting to dance. And so when everyone starts doing the cockroach, right? um uh that uh that that is um that that that's that's surprising right and that's a discovery um and and i, I do I, I love the idea of of a dance being called the cockroach right or kind of you know because it's because it's so gross right um it's it's gross uh and and it and and kind of doesn't die right uh <laughs> Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, an adolescent
0: boy at an indie rock show, right? Like you know, <laughs> kind of covered with layers of grime, you know, moving kind of in in fits and starts, awkwardly. I don't know. Is this like? It struck me that there wasn't a lot of place for women on on this record, right? Like this this is uh-huh. sort of like uh, this is sort of a record about. I mean the, the the sort of universal themes of of alienation of kind of existential. Questions questions uh you know that are that are being asked as you know he says Isaac says uh you cover a lot of ground with the god concept uh, in, right. his, in his lyrics, but that like it's really it doesn 't necessarily get into uh, mixed gender relationships into romance into uh you know into things like this it 's really a kind of man versus society uh, uh sort of record and I guess you can sort of i guess you can look at certain things as universal, but the idea that the sort of male experience is is um uh, is the average experience right the one that 's that 's capable of of having the like the normal observations that are kind of non specific uh is you know just just plain sexism and that that like i don 't know it- it struck me that there there is something here that 's like there 's a bit of like men 's group in this right like there 's a bit of like uh indie rock is an emotional space for men um that that uh, you know, and and uh, predictably, all the dudes who they uh, who uh, all the dudes who they interview in the documentary get all uh, you know just jizz all over some of these lyrics, like about you know. Yeah, it's but, a little much. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially yeah. like a song like "Bankrupt" on on selling.
2: Yeah, no, I do think that is there. Although I will say that. I, it's still, a, I, I do think, still that the uh, kind of alienation and the kind of general themes of alienation and being really anti mall are still at least a little more universal or relatable than. I mean, I think the worst sin is sort of like I would describe as like the kind of like Philip sin or something Where it's this very like Very clearly like male perspective And you're supposed to swallow it down Like it's like this totally relatable thing Or not like Not yet, you know Like having to Actually having to hear Isaac Brock Talk about like some girl for like an entire album Is like way more alienating <laughs> You know, because like He would probably impart on it something that was uh off-putting or alienating yeah. and then i you know i mean or like and that could, that would be at least uh, the danger there right at least I can be like, yeah, I don't like malls either. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, I, I, know.
0: So, I sometimes wonder about my place in the world, you know? Like, right.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder that too, right? Mm. That's a totally reasonable sentiment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, and I don't know.
1: It's interesting. I mean, I guess maybe I just put that, you know, it, it's funny to kind of circle back to a story that I told early on, is that I still managed to send a some lyrics from this album to a girl. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's it's there if you want it right because like these senses of kind of longing right and it's there on this like you know feeling like a sense of longing towards someone um of you know and and of of kind of you know a sense of being estranged or alienated of kind of having bird bridges runs throughout the album as well right it's there on um um polar opposites as well a little bit right um and long distance drunk right there's like a theme one of the other kind of themes that run through this is kind of like being kind of unhinged and like uh like drunk and like kind of burning your bridges with people right mm-hmm. and um and kind of this cycle of like kind of depression um uh, drinking and kind of um, and, and kind of misconnection, right? And so it's the the, the right, polar opposite is the one with the I'm trying to drink away the part of the day that I cannot sleep away, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: no, and those are, I mean, and when you're like. 20 i mean i related to that quite a bit right (laughs) uh you know i i even remember listening to like the first album and like really plaintively like feeling the the, one of the courses on the first one of the songs on the first album is this like very plaintive gotta go to work gotta go to work gotta (laughs) get a job and i'm like yeah (laughs) and i'll say this the people introducing me to this album were all women huh So, you know, so they obviously also felt something – there's some real angst shit here that, like, it must have been appealing. Um, There is –
0: that sort of thing of, like, drinking – I mean, drinking the day away, uh, you know, absent, like, some deeper medical problem was sort of like – is sort of like a young person's thing, right? Like, because I I remember – I remember like something I would never do now as a kid being like, yeah, I'm just going to go out tonight and get really fucked up, you know, like, and that's like a little bit, I want to shake myself and like slap myself in the face and say like, you're, you, you will never feel this good again in your life. (laughs) Like a time, a time will come not that long from now when, uh, when your body will hurt literally all the time. (laughs) You know <laughs> when you will have a like a regime of stretching and like ibuprofen and uh <laughs> and that like and that so much of that time you spend kind of being angst ridden and miserable uh, and, yeah. uh, and you spend also you know if you if you indulge in in substances in in you know mind altering substances uh that like you uh you spend trying to like not experience your experience right like trying to like get fucked up get out of you know get out of wherever you're at like get out you know change your your uh, uh point of view or you know i don't know get get sort of deranged somehow and it's like what the fuck are we thinking as kids right like it's very uh i don't know it's it's obscure to me it's a, it's a little difficult
2: No, I mean, I think that's the problem when you're that age. You're, like, still incredibly insecure, I think. Uh, I I feel like adolescence has this, like, ugly hangover well into your 20s where you're still, like, overly concerned about, like, how you're perceived or where you stand in relation to people. And I guess, like, you're still concerned about that as you get older. But I think you get more – I certainly feel, like, a lot more comfortable with, like, this is just how it is. This is who I am. It's not going to, it's not going to be, I'm not going to like apologize for it, but I envy the time I had. I wish I had the time and yeah. And like the body, like the, just the, the working youthful body, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the (laughs) The resilience. Yeah. the, The actual, just physical resilience. Right. (laughs) <laughs> you
0: know, and like, yeah, exactly. You could sort of, you could uh, re- recover quickly from things. I mean, that's really the thing. You know, it's not a uh, uh, anyway not to not to make this in, into uh, not to make this into to just a, a lament for you know our lost uh, our you know lost <laughs> sense of physical f- f- well being and, and physical conditioning. But like, I think there, I think there is this thing, and it's it's striking in in the documentary, right? Because you're looking at them in the archival footage. You're looking at, at skinny Isaac Brock as a mm-hmm. kid, you know, his like loose nineties t-shirt, right? Like basically hanging off of him and hang, like hanging off of his skeleton. And then you see him as a, uh, uh, you see him as an older man, you know, 20 years later. And it's like, Oh, he's, uh, he's a middle-aged man now, you know, he's, he's he's um like filled out gotten not not exactly tubby, but but gotten mm, i don't know how would yeah, you say soft. Right? You
2: know, yeah, yeah soft yeah p-
0: soft puffy i might say yeah. you know and that's mm-hmm. like what you know like oh wow and and he's a little more philosophical about about uh about stuff
1: i mean i don't know it's it's interesting to think about some of the like the bodiliness of both of youth and and one of the lines um it was the line that I kind of quoted in the opening that is kind of so physical there is the um uh is the is, is the one about the um you know the brain being the burger and the heart's the cold right and it's on heart cook's brain and it kind of comes back again on lounge closing time um and I think the idea i mean the idea of your brain also um being a piece of meat right uh is really interesting and because I think it's you know this idea of You know, like encroaching decrepitude of the body is that it's something. I mean, I think that line is that you know we think of this as something that just is you know progresses with time, but like your body can break itself down through stress and emotion um, and kind of through going through shit. And so I, I think, and I it's weird because. You know, even though I I knew intuitively that this was music made by like um you know by young men it actually sounds like it's music made by old men and not like old men like in their 40s like like this sounds like kind of like like the i've always i think i imagine like like isaac brock even though i know what he looks like like when i hear him sing i imagine like a a haggard old man with like it was like like bushy white eyebrows um and wild hair like something like like doc brown or something like that (laughs) um right like and kind of screaming you know screaming wailing on top of the clock tower as the lightning strikes is kind of the sound of the like you know of of the of of modest mouse at their um at their most furious right and and that and, and 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 you just like you listen to this and it's just like man, this guy has been through some shit, right? Because, um, uh, you know, that brain is well-cooked by the heart. <laughs> um, you know, this is not a... This this brain... I, I, I highly recommend sous-viding your brain um, just so it cooks through an even internal temperature. Right. Because otherwise, if you cook your brain with your heart, uh, it just gets charred, right? It just, it just gets a little fried. Yeah. The, I mean, the...
0: the um... The name Modest Mouse comes from this, this Virginia Woolf short story. And the, the quote is in the, in the way, the quotation of the line is in the Wikipedia page. Um, I wish I could hit Uh, writes Virginia Woolf, I wish I could hit upon a pleasant track of thought, a track indirectly reflecting credit upon myself, for those are the pleasantest thoughts and very frequent even in the minds of modest mouse-colored people who who believe genuinely that they dislike to hear their own praises. Right. So oh. modest, I mean, modest mouse is about sort of the spiritual middle classes, right? The kind of the spirit, the spiritually undistinguished, uh, the modest mouse colored, uh, people thinking their, their pleasant track of thoughts that indirectly re- reflect credit. Uh, on themselves because the, the person believes that they don't want to be praised directly. They don't want glory. They don't have that like, you know, drive for greatness. They, so the, the, the kind of like the kind of pleasure that they are capable of is like a pleasant, uh, a pleasant pleasure and, and indirect, um, And indirect pleasure. And the idea of, you know, I mean, the idea of that, it's got to be, it's got to be ironic. uh, But it's also, but it's also a little bit kind of goes with, with, with what you're saying, right? Like, it's sort of the, it's the sound of someone who's tired, you know, it's, it's the sound of someone who's, who's, um, um, I guess the word weary is kind of not, uh, is kind of not out of place, you know?
1: Well, and I think, but and the irony of modest mouse of the name modest mouse is interesting because it comes back to um, another line that's a kind of a well-known line of the album, right? Is the is the um, let's all have another orange Julius, right? Like that's the that is the the, well, the that uh, orange Julius is the preferred beverage of the modest mouses of the world, right? Of the modest mouse-colored people, um, right? And it's even kind of what at least another way of kind of viewing the man with the teeth-like. God's shoe shine, right? Is that you know? It otherwise, otherwise known as um, ooh, uh, must be nice to have good teeth, right? <laughs> uh. Uh, um, and and the, this idea of that it's kind of weirdly making these things, these two details that are supposedly normal and is making them strange. Right. And because like God's shine sure sounds like a scary thing. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so it's like, it's like, you know, never trust a man with, with good teeth um, <laughs> who also, who is also drinks orange Julius. Cause what's really in that man. Yeah. What's in that ball juice.
2: Yeah, I'm like It's like Kind of comparing it to Pavement It's like Pavement was in the mall And kind of having a quiet, nervous breakdown And like these guys are outside the mall Like talking shit about the mall You know, but they're outside of it Yeah, they're (laughs) They're like at the mall talking shit about it
0: They're in the parking lot, you know Right. Like they're having the uh, they're having the like the rumble. Right. Um, or th- sorry, the chain reaction started in the parking lot. Yeah, you know, they're they're like uh, they're starting the chain reaction. They're setting it. Uh, they're setting it off um, in their van, you know, in their their tour van um, on the road. <laughs>
1: Well, are there other I mean, I mean, I know that we've are there any before we close, are there any of these other like 15 tracks um, and 70 minutes of music that we didn't get to hit that were, yeah. uh, that were highlights? I just I
0: just want to um, I just want to point out that Cowboy Dan's a major player in the hey, cowboy sir. scene.
1: <laughs> well, I think that, I think you know the other thing though, and I mean the line that I, I'd always been aware of it, but I, it was it was drawn out and highlighted on, on the documentary um, is the um, right. It's that. Um, you know, as much as we can joke about Cowboy Dan, right, that, uh, that the, the heart of what Cowboy D- uh, Dan does is goes to the de- desert, fires his rifle in the sky and says, God, if I have to die, you will have to die. <laughs> um, right? He's, and he's it,
0: right. You can cover a lot of ground with the God concept.
1: I mean, you know, just as you don't want to bring a knife to a gunfight, you don't want to bring a gun to a God fight, right? <laughs> like, you know, I'm just going to say this, that Cowboy Dan is outmatched. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and, and that, right, that sense of, right, that, that's back to that image of the, of, of the screaming old man, right, of, because, of, like, the idea of just having a breakdown and firing your gun at God is this level of just being pushed to a brink right like that brain is fully cooked by by the by the by the heart coal
0: yeah I mean, the idea of a cowboy scene is so was so I was so taken with that listening to that because because like, that's that's exactly like I want to be just like all the different people. Right. Because the point of the cowboy is like rugged individuality of is of like being outside of society, you know, and uh, and the idea that there's a cowboy scene and that he's a major player in the cowboy scene, <laughs> you know, is so is so great because it's sort of so against the idea of of cowboyness.
1: And also, it basically, in just one word, kind of like just – destroys and skewers the idea of scenes at all, right? Like if, if the Cowboys have a scene, right? The ridiculousness of the Cowboy scene and the major player, there being a major player in the Cowboy scene just kind of takes the whole notion of major players in any scenes being a thing that you should ever take seriously. Right. And, and so it's like kind of, um, right. That it's this weird kind of side shot, even though the song's not really about indie rock, um it definitely that's a place with scenes and major players um right and so that uh that that just uh having cowboy dan be that major player uh like serves to just um uh as as it goes on to kind of um you know get really far with the whole god concept um also uh along the way um takes takes some scenesters down a few pegs yeah um (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And
0: in yeah, exactly. In a in a way that's not in a way that's a little oblique, that's kind of a wink rather than you know, rather than a, a direct uh direct attack. Um Yeah.
2: No, it it's funny. I mean, like talking about scenes I mean, it makes me think that, like, in general, like, maybe these guys don't really want, like, too many, like, public community spaces in general. I don't know. <laughs> like, they kind of, I, think, I think they just want to be left alone. Like, because even, I don't know, I, I, I kind of wanted to, like, Ooh. I, I kind of wanted to have, like, one, one last thought or, like, another thought about the mall that we have not, like, thought about. And I, I don't think they occurred to, to Modest Mouse. Like, malls are kind of a community scene. Like they're a public space. I mean, I know they're not they're not actually a public space, but they function like one right like malls are where you go to scene and be seen when you're a teenager right you you actually run into other kids from school you you see people you might like you know there's a certain amount of flexibility yeah. in it the malls usually have like at least somewhere to eat or a movie theater or some other like incidental ancillary activity that isn't just shopping at the mall there's an arcade yeah, there's an arcade <laughs> right No. It's so, you know, it's it in some ways they, they, they it's not like they served no functional social or community purpose whatsoever
1: right and so that if you're against malls really maybe like you're also against like again it's not like cowboy dan's hanging out in town no. <laughs> you know he goes to the the reservation drinks and gets mean right you know he's he's out in the country I, mean, I think you're absolutely right i was thinking about that when we were talking about this earlier is that they're kind of right the, the, at their heart they're kind of um you know, Jim Scott style kind of, um, hill people, right. That they, (laughs) right. That they want to, um, you know, escape the kind of easily governed spaces, whether that is the mall or the town center and kind of retreat into the various hinterlands where they can just be kind of alone, um, and weird. Right. (laughs) Um, and, and, um, and that, you a lot of the on the songs that um that where they get bottled up. I mean, it's really interesting. The songs that are more calm are the ones that have a sense of space and breathing, and the songs that get really like the screaming man are the ones where there's a sense of encroachment right like, like cowboy dan right the city comes to him, him right and it's like from um teeth like god's shoe signs which is like kind of hits um the hardest right the, that's right there right from the top of the ocean from the bottom of the sky Goddamn! well i get claustrophobic um i know you can that i can right that that this even just by be- by being between the ocean and the sky aka everything <laughs> right like is already too claustrophobic Phobic, right, and so that is this need. It's like it's like the, the whole thing is like I need some space, man. Right. Like, <laughs> uh, and so you're right that there is a kind of like a being kind of uh, it, there's an a, a extreme social anxiety here um and that it used to be that the west that the frontier was a solution to that um but now um now that's gone right the the frontier is closed um and it's all um and it's all encroachment um from from here on yeah, now now the lonesome west is crowded
0: you right know? <laughs> you know there's not there's not any uh any sort of breathing room for you yeah all right. Well, uh, I think it's time to uh, go refill our Orange Julius, guys. So let's uh, let's wrap up our discussion of the lonesome, crowded West from Modest Mouse. Uh, we'd love to hear whatever you think of this record at TFT Podcast on Twitter, Theory for Turntables on Facebook, or comment on the show notes of this episode. I think we're calling it for uh – Uh, 1997 is, and, and, uh, you know, we don't, we don't often say what we're doing, but I think we're wrapping up the, uh, I think we're wrapping up the, um, the, the historical stretch through the, the middle nineties, which was a, just a fantastic, uh, fantastic time. So thanks for sticking with us uh, through it. And thanks uh, very much, Ryan. And thanks, Rachel, for coming along for so, so many of these.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh
0: yeah! Happy to be here. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> fuck you. I'm in the the. I'm firing my rifle at the sky. Um,
2: uh, I feel encroached.
0: <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's see each other next week for uh, a trip back to 2017. Until then, keep it real.